Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. Today we're going to have a look at the Australian Federal Government's 2023-24 budget. This budget yet again benefits from a large revenue windfall, allowing a surplus this financial year for the first time in 15 years and cost of living relief at the same time. Looking forward, we see a return to medium term deficits while lower, but it does leave the budget vulnerable to anything that upsets the so-called rivers of gold flowing to Canberra. Just to quickly run through some of the key measures, and of course, Many of these were leaked into the media before the budget was released. Of course, one of the big items is $14.6 billion over four years in cost of living support for mostly low and middle income households. This includes one-off energy bill relief, rental assistance, assistance for small businesses, including in relation to energy bill relief, so it's not just households, but also small businesses, an additional amount of money allocated to Medicare to allow better access to GPs through a lift in the bulk billing incentive, cheaper medicines, um, subsidies to move from gas to electric appliances, increased support for single parents, and of course, an increase in the job seeker allowance, particularly for over 55s. There's also increased spending on aged care flowing from a 15% pay rise, particularly for aged care workers, a 20% instant asset write-off for small businesses. So I guess uh, some might call that the tradie um, incentive as well. A ramp up in defence spending. Of course, we've heard a lot about that in recent times in relation to missiles and submarines, but most of that is offset by a reallocation of defence spending from elsewhere. There's also some measures to boost housing affordability with tax changes to boost build to rent housing and a wider access to the home guarantee schemes. So I should point out in terms of that wider access, yes, more people are able to get access to them, but they're still limited to something like 50,000 places per annum. There's also a renewed lift in renewables investment through a $2 million allocation to the hydrogen industry, incentives to build greener houses, measures to support impact investing to tackle social problems, and increase funding to crack down on vaping and, of course, reduce smoking. Of course, there's a whole bunch of budget savings in this budget as well, including particularly a reform of the petroleum resource rent tax, which is estimated to raise an extra $2.4 billion over four years, an extension of the GST compliance program, an extra 5% rise in tobacco excise, which will raise $3.3 billion over four years or so, measures to slow down growth in the NDIS to around 8% per annum from nearly 14% currently, a 30% tax on super fund earnings where balances exceed 3 million. Of course, that one was well flagged a couple of months ago. And of course, measures to increase the payment frequency of super and lifting compliance at the same time, which has also been uh, flagged prior to the budget. Of course, the economic assumptions in the budget are often a bit of a focus, but not the major focus, of course. The government continues to see a slowdown in growth over the next 12 months, which we do as well. In fact, we're a little less optimistic than the government does. They see growth slowing to 1.5% of the Reserve Bank, like ourselves, 
debt slowing down to around 1.25%. The government also sees somewhat higher inflation for this financial year, but a slowdown occurring over the next couple of years. In fact, they see inflation going back to the top end of the range or just below the top end of the range before the RBA does uh, through 24-25. I guess the good news for some is that they see wages growth exceeding inflation in the next financial year. In fact, they see that falling into place early next year. But I guess the bad news is that as growth slows down, unemployment will rise. No great surprises in any of this, but of course, the big risk is that perhaps growth slows faster than the government's allowing for, resulting in a faster pickup in unemployment. A couple of interesting points in the budget uh, numbers is that for many, many years, the government has been assuming that the iron ore price and other commodity prices will fall back to pretty low levels. In fact, they had the iron ore price falling to $55 a tonne. Uh, they've now revised that assumption up, but only to $60 a tonne. Given the iron ore price is still north of $100 a tonne, um, obviously there's a bit of scope in there for revenue surprise in the years ahead if the iron ore price continues to run above their forecasts. It's a similar story with gas and coal. The other thing to note about the government's assumptions is that they are assuming that net immigration for this year is running at 400,000 and it only slows next year, but still to a pretty high 315,000. And then ultimately, a couple of years time, it falls back to around 260,000. Now that's higher, even the 260,000 number is higher than the average, which was around 240,000 over the decade or so prior to the pandemic. So we are looking at pretty strong immigration numbers, but particularly this year, this will be the first time in 14 years that population growth in Australia will be around 2%. So let's have a look at the budget projections. This is where I guess a lot of the good news is. We've seen a massive turnaround in the budget deficit, in fact, into surplus for this financial year. This has been pretty much the case, I guess, over the last few years. In fact, all the budgets since 2020 those starting in 2021, have benefited from huge revenue flows flowing from a combination of higher personal tax collections due to stronger jobs growth and wages growth, initially due to the stronger recovery or faster than expected recovery in the economy, higher than forecast commodity prices and higher non-mining profits than assumed. In some ways, it looks like rivers of gold flowing to Canberra. In fact, some commentators have described it that way. But it's really good luck flowing from the conservative forecast that the budget had been adopting regarding jobs, wages, inflation, and commodity prices. That's all. Not hard work on the part of the government, and I refer to here the coalition and now the Labor governments, in terms of getting the budget under control, mainly due to good luck because they were too conservative in their forecasts. The windfall, which some people refer to as parameter changes, is estimated to reduce the budget deficit this financial year by $42 billion. In fact, when you allow for just an extra $1 trillion in actual spending offsetting that. Um, it takes the budget deficit from a projected $37 billion back in October last year to a surplus this year of $4.2 billion. So quite a massive turnaround. In fact, that turnaround as a share of GDP is the fastest since the two years after the end of World War II, when the budget deficit fell from roughly 10.5% of GDP, falling back to around 0.8% of GDP by 1946-47. So a massive turnaround, but most of that is owing to those so-called rivers of gold flowing to Canberra from their overly conservative economic and commodity price assumptions. Now, I guess the good news, though, is that the government continues to see that revenue boost occurring in the years ahead, although it does slow down. In fact, in the financial year coming up, it sees another $42 billion improvement 
in the budget numbers flowing from that largely driven revenue boost. It does tail off as we go into the subsequent years as unemployment rises. So that improvement obviously will help reduce the budget deficit. And in fact, in the subsequent years, the government is assuming that about 86% of the so-called revenue improvement or budgetary improvement flowing from better economic conditions compared to what they assumed, will go to the budget bottom line. In other words, the bulk of it has been saved. That's all the way out to 2026, 2027. Quite an improvement flowing through in the budget deficit. So how do those numbers stack up? Obviously, a budget surplus this financial year, which is what their forecast is. We've still got a few months to go and we won't know the final outcome until September, but you can likelihood is it'll be around a small surplus. They do see a return to deficit in the subsequent years as the structural spending pressures kick in. And of course, the size of that uh, revenue windfall starts to dwindle. So we see a return to deficit of around $14 billion in the next financial year. That's 2023-2024. And budget deficits, you know, circa around $35 billion for the next couple of years after that. Now, I should say that is a significant improvement on budget deficits previously projected to be around $50 billion in 2024-25 and also 2025-26. So quite a significant improvement in the budget bottom line. If you look at the breakdown between spending and revenue, uh, if you go back to the previous budget in October last year, there was a steady rise in spending and that was because of ongoing strong growth in things like the NDIS, aged care, the government's interest bill on their debt and so on. Also defence is another factor in all of that along with health. What the government has been able to do very a bunch of savings, uh, for example, controlling the growth rate in the NDIS and repurposing some defence spending and other areas of the budget, they've been able to cap that growth in government spending at around 0.6% per annum. Now, given that that is less than uh, overall GDP growth, it caps the level of overall spending at around just above 26% of GDP. Now, of course, that is higher than it was in the pre-pandemic years, but nevertheless, a significant improvement on what was previously occurring. On the revenue side, the government sees the revenue numbers steadily rising. And as we get to the end of the decade ahead, um, it sees government revenue as a share of GDP getting up to around 26% of GDP, which was a level last reached in the mid-1980s. While the budget has seen a rapid turnaround from deficit to surplus this year and has made progress in reducing the medium-term structural deficits, we do still see budget deficits persisting over the years ahead, albeit, as I mentioned before, they are somewhat smaller. Thanks to lower deficits, though, gross public debt is now projected to be far lower as a share of GDP, with the $1 trillion level of debt now pushed out two years to 2026. So we're seeing as a share of GDP, likelihood is that gross public debt is peaked, and that $1 trillion level is getting pushed out. So what's our overall assessment? Obviously, there's a bunch of winners from this budget, low and middle income households, pensioners, single parents, medicine users, GPs, aged care workers, low income renters, job seeker, recipients, and so on. They're all winners, but there's obviously a bunch of losers, vapors and smokers, uh, some prospective NDIS users, gas producers will have to pay more tax, consultants, the public sector, high balance super members and travelers, travelers overseas will now have to pay an extra $10 to leave Australia. The budget has a lot to commend it. Cost of living measures will help those most in need and will also put some downward pressure on measured inflation because it will come in the form of bill relief as opposed to handouts. 
but some also will be as handouts, so it's not consistent. The budget is now back in surplus for the first time since uh, 2008, 2007, 2008, in fact, and the bulk of the revenue upgrade has been put to the budget deficit bottom line, which is good news, and also that reduces interest costs. The government has slowed structural spending growth, and I think that is commendable, and they've raised extra revenue, and there is still scope for revenue. Surprise with commodity price assumptions still being somewhat conservative. However, there are a bunch of weaknesses in this budget. Firstly, you can make an argument that the stimulus they're applying in the next financial year, so we get an extra $42 billion from so-called stronger revenue, but there's also $12 billion worth of extra stimulus, mainly in cost of living measures, that could add to inflation to the extent that it adds to spending. Flip side is that some of those cost of living measures will directly reduce inflation by reducing bills, and the government is in fact still taking more out of the economy compared to what it's putting into it compared to the projections last October. You can also argue that we've got ongoing medium-term structural budget deficits. They're still there, not as big as they once were, but they're still there. And to some degree, this is a bit of an opportunity loss because this is the last budget where the government can really address that issue, given that the next budget will be in the run-up to the next election. In particular, there is a risk that the revenue surprises may turn less favourable in the year ahead. That's often the way the cycle works, and therefore the budget won't be positioned for that. There's also this rise in government spending as a share of GDP, which could bear down on productivity. And of course, there's not a lot extra in this budget to boost productivity. The sort of reforms Australia really needs in terms of tax, competition reforms, non-market services sector of the economy, industrial relations are not happening. Yes, we are seeing some action on training and education and energy generation, but there's still a long way to go. And finally, the housing measures in the budget probably won't make much of a difference over the next year or so, given the massive shortfall of supply relative to demand from very high immigration levels. So what does all this mean for the Reserve Bank? I don't think it means a lot, to be honest. Yes, there is that extra stimulus in the next 12 months, but by the same token, lots of Australians are paying a lot, lot more tax than they used to, and that's actually acting as a drag on household income. So yeah, there is some money going to low-income earners, but there's a lot more coming out of other earners in other parts of the economy. But of course, the RBA will still be wary, and if anything, the budget doesn't do anything to add to downwards pressure on inflation. So the RBA will be keeping a close eye on this, but I don't think it will change our view on the RBA. What does it mean for asset classes in Australia? To be honest, I don't see a major impact. Um, it's often the case that budgets come and go without a big impact on particular investments. I hope that's been of value. All the best. Until I meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.